Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So today we have Michelle Hone, Dr. Michelle Hone, who is owner of the Fit Clinic, who's also a fertility nutritionist. And I think you and your team focus primarily on female health, hormonal issues, fertility and pregnancy. Um, and I'm absolutely delighted to have you on and really appreciate your time. And I'm looking forward to getting in all things women's health now in this podcast. Thanks so much for having me on, Aina. Um, so what got you kind of started on your own journey and I guess the line of work that you're in was it like something that was always so obvious or yeah how long do you have (laughs) um so I actually I suppose it all started when I started in um, sports science and health in DCU and I started to gain a really big interest in health and fitness and started out in the gym I was probably one of like the only people in that course that actually wasn't doing a sport at the time I was just um, yeah no hand eye coordination whatsoever so um so that um then kind of led me into gym work and I then became a personal trainer and I actually to be totally honest I actually developed quite a severe eating disorder um because I suppose my my main goal was always like weight loss and aesthetics Mm. and it wasn't what it I suppose wasn't what we all should really be be exercising for the reasons we should be exercising for so um that was pretty tough but um it kind of like led me to where I am today and kind of specializing in female health and then we really really restarted to I suppose I set up the fit clinic god eight seven or eight years ago and so I went on and did um, my doctorate in nutrition and during that time I set up the fit clinic and at the beginning it was just myself working one-to-one clients and then doing a PhD alongside that it got quite um it got quite intense so I started to um take on other people and add to the team and now we have um an amazing team I suppose we've started to specialize really more so in female health and especially fertility because I've seen firsthand the effect that good quality nutrition supplementation and lifestyle can have and those changes can have on um on outcomes like women who've lost their periods and getting their periods back again and severe PMS and fertility struggles and and those kind of things so I've seen firsthand how effective those strategies can be and how much of an impact they can make and yeah that's where we are today so really specializing in in that that's that's it in a nutshell um yeah yeah, there's a lot there's a lot there that I want to cover that you kind of touched on anyway but um so what what got you into sports science if you weren't doing any sport and weren't were you like always into the gym or was it just like oh, I'll try no, sports I science and then... no I actually really started going to the gym after I'd started sports science because I was like god I really need to like <laughs> Look the I really need something here yeah at least yeah so I think what got me into sports science I remember actually my parents being really surprised my whole family being quite surprised that I put sports science down on my CAO and um, actually sorry there's actually a, a ridiculous backstory to this so I wanted to do physiotherapy I wanted to be a physiotherapist I am like I've always been really interested in biology and physiology and the way the mm-hmm. body works so um a physio becoming a physio was my was um my kind of dream career but this sounds so ridiculous like whenever I say it out loud like even like years later so at the time I don't know if you remember but you get your leaving cert points and then the next thing is like oh did you get your first choice on your CAO 
Yeah. And I knew that the physiotherapy points were quite high in Trinity. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get them. And I don't want to turn around on like CAO day to everybody and be like, no, I didn't get my first choice. Like that's where my head was at. So instead of putting physio first, I knew that I would more than likely get this points for sports science like this is eight well 17 year old me um so I put sports science first but in the end I actually got the points for physiotherapy and in hindsight if I like I would have hated like obviously no disrespect to physiotherapy but me personally I would have hated to do physiotherapy um it just wasn't yeah like it's just not the path that's for me and it's just so strange when you think about it that like that decision has ultimately led me to where I am today in a job that I absolutely adore. So yeah, it was obviously some sort of a something from the universe the, that was the telling universe me. Telling me, yeah. Yeah, definitely. which is so bizarre. Um so yeah, that's what led me to sports science. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. Um so what do we'll just get into kind of the whole thing because there's a lot I want to touch on. Uh, yeah. What do you feel like are kind of like the biggest problems that like women are facing with their health at the minute post kind of we say pandemic? Like, have there been any changes? Is it still the same kind of problems? Yeah. I think like one of the things like it's it's not even just post pandemic, but I think one of I always say that if I could take one, if I could do one thing for all of our clients that we work with one to one, it would be minimize their stress. So you think it would be like a nutrition recommendation or a exercise recommendation, but it would be stress. Yeah, 100%. Like stress is an absolute killer for obviously for our mental health, first of all, but also for our female physiology. There's such a huge interaction between what's going on in our head and what's going on physiologically in our body. And for women, often that manifests as losing their periods or having issues with their hormones where they have like really debilitating like premenstrual stress and, and PMS and things like that and then to go like a little bit further as we get older um fertility struggles so stressors is just so so huge and as I said if I could take one thing away from all of our clients it would be stress um I was actually listening to why zebras don't get ulcers I'm not sure if you've read that or listened to that but yeah he yeah. was it, the part I was on today it was mentioning that there's actually differences between or that there was a claim that there's differences between how women um, deal with or uh, feel stress, I guess, that there was fight or flight, but in women that it was actually a bit different, that in men it tends to be fight or flight, but in women it's more kind of nurture and care rather than fight or flight. Is yeah. that something that you've noticed? Is there like a difference between genders I or is it similar? I think the difference for me, the, dis- the difference between genders is that women themselves and society in general places such a huge pressure on women in general like I suppose I I definitely noticed this when I became a mother where I feel like and maybe this is entirely my fault I feel like I'm expected to be an amazing mother who's there Mm -hmm. all the time but I'm also expected to be like a badass businesswoman who's killing it in work as well but you can't do both so I don't know if it's it's us putting these expectations on ourselves or if it's society. So yeah, like I I would say that in general, like whether you're a business owner or if you're not a business owner or if you're not a mother, there is still huge expectations on on us from a societal level. And I do think that that has a huge impact as well. I just feel like we're 
always up in our own heads we're always over analyzing things whereas I know my husband anyway lives a very simple life I'm sometimes I just look at him and I'm like I'm so jealous <laughs> I'm so jealous that you don't have these things going on your head but I do think obviously everybody everyone's different and not everybody's built like him but I do think that there is is, is a difference um in between genders definitely yeah and I'm, I'm sure that like a lot of women feel like there's almost a ticking time bomb as in you have deadlines especially around pregnancy and you feel like under pressure to like do everything in in the right time whereas for men we don't have that same pressure so I'm sure that that has a a big difference on it or causes a lot of differences um so just with I don't want to like go way too down the rabbit hole of like vaccines but just with like vaccinations I I have seen from like an outside perspective a lot of fear like around whether it's getting the vaccine and trying to get pregnant and then also people who have gotten the vaccine and then are saying that maybe, you know, they've lost a period after it. And is there like the, is there like the data there yet or the research there to. Yeah, there is, there actually is research that because it was happening like at the time with our clients and I was like, God, this is really strange. And then it was only probably about, I don't know, probably about like six or nine months after the vaccination protocol had been rolled out that we actually had some compelling research. Mm. Um, And what the research shows, as far as I can remember, was that it was only pushing out people's periods by a few days um, and that that was going to correct itself from anywhere from after one to three months. But what we have been finding is that there's women that are completely losing their periods and mm. have them, have lost them for an extended period of time, whether that's the vaccination, whether maybe the vaccination prompted something or maybe it's nothing to do with the vaccination at all. We just don't know. Um, but 100 percent, there's no there's no denying the research is there. And we've seen it with clients that there was um there was definitely um yeah some sort of issues and some sort of disturbances and as well the other thing and a lot of people I don't know we've I think we might have researched on this as well um having COVID itself is causing issues um with people's are causing disturbances in their menstrual cycle as well so it's just yeah it's just something to be mindful obviously there's no there's no getting away from um catching COVID these days but um it's just something to to bear in mind yeah I'm sure it's very hard to pinpoint exactly what caused it because that person could be severely stressed as well and there could be so many other things and then COVID could be causing stress and I'm sure it's very hard to pinpoint it exactly yeah exactly Um, Uh, but it's yeah it's definitely not my area I'm far from an immunologist that's fine I'm sure an immunologist explain it better definitely not my area anyway but is um is it normal I think this might be more along the lines of your area is it normal not to have a period like just because it has been that way for for maybe a long time and I know I know the answer to this but it's just that yeah I'm like I'm like you definitely know the answer to this (laughs) so no absolutely not and I think again like societally we see or from a societal perspective we see our periods as a bit of a burden sometimes especially I feel Mm -hmm. like when we're younger and we're like oh no I'm going to have my period for this event or whatever it is or especially if someone has PMS and we see it as a burden and I've seen a lot of clients say to me like oh I don't get a period anymore but like this is great I'm delighted and yes it might be great at that time but I always say that you're your period is like your fifth vital sign. So like your other vital signs, like your blood pressure and your temperature um, 
and your heart rate and your breathing rate. They're your, they're your four, your kind of your four vital signs. And if you were to wake up in the morning and you were breathing really, really quickly or your heart rate was through the roof, you would know that something is wrong or your temperature is up. You would know that you have some sort of an infection. That's your body's way of, of kind of telling you that you're unwell or fighting against it. But when we wake up one day and don't get our period for an extended period of time, we just don't think anything of it. Mm. So I think that's so strange. Like you would bring yourself to a doctor if your other vital signs were out of whack, whereas you wouldn't. As a society, we generally don't see much wrong with missing a period. But like it is like the epitome of a red flag. It is the epitome of your body telling you that something is wrong. Um because we are supposed to like any females and um, we're all supposed to get a period. So it, it, I suppose the key is like figuring out, okay, what is the underlying issue? What is the reason that I'm not getting a period? And it's just so important that we just kind of become more in tune with our bodies, like track our cycles, track our symptoms. And then we'll know when something is amiss that we need to go and actually like seek further assistance or um, further advice or get to the root of the problem as to what is the reason that we've, we've we're missing periods or they're irregular or we're getting spotting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that brings me to, like, I was going to ask you about if there is someone that's listening that hasn't had one for a while or doesn't have one, there is obviously there's a lot of information, especially even on your page. If they take a look, they'll have a fair idea of what to do, but like, where would you suggest that someone even starts? Because I'm sure it can be quite overwhelming and like, you know, yeah. there's, there's so much information that's like, okay, what could be going on? Where can I start to figure out what's going on? Yeah. So generally, well, people will generally just pop into their GP. And I think what's really, really important to highlight is very often, and this is nothing against GPs, it just seems to be the 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 kind of the action plan when it comes to someone who doesn't have a period is they will often just recommend that they go on the oral contraceptive pill to Uh like regulate their cycle. Um, But obviously we know that when you take the oral contraceptive pill, especially it's, it's down-regulating your own hormones. So you actually stop your, your own natural menstrual cycle from happening and you just replace it with artificial hormones. So the bleed that you get, uh, say you take the pill for 21 days and then you go off it for your seven days, the bleed that you get isn't a period. It's just, it's just a withdrawal bleed from those hormones that you've been taking for those 21 days. So my issue here is that you're not actually getting to the root of the problem. Like what is the actual reason that on a physiological level, your body isn't producing the hormones that it needs to in order to build the lining of the uterus and then ovulate and shed the lining of the uterus. So it's so important to actually get to the root of the problem because I suppose I'm coming from a perspective where we're working with clients who are maybe coming into their 30s or early 30s or later 30s and they, they've been on the pill for an extended period of time when they were putting it because they didn't have a period and they just think okay I'm going to come off the, the pill after 10 years or however long it's been and they generally expect to just get it get their normal period again because they thought that they've had a period the whole time that they've been on the pill but very often what happens is the same issues are there that were there previously that's the reason that they were put on the pill in the first place so 
then we have to actually do a lot of unraveling to figure out, okay, again, what is the root problem when all that's been done is like when you go on the pill for an extended period of time, when you don't have a period, all you've done is kick the can down the road to just, oh, we'll deal with that at a later date. And unfortunately, when it comes to women coming off the pill, when they want to get pregnant, they want to be pregnant yesterday. They don't want to have to wait for us to fix their hormones and sort out their menstrual cycle. It could take months and then they it might take them a long time to get pregnant. And instead of getting pregnant yesterday, it might take them a year. And that in itself comes with a huge amount of stressors like Mm -hmm. fertility struggles is so I've seen it with clients I've seen it with myself it's such a huge stress on our body we're so up in our own heads it can be so overwhelming and all the information out there that that situation could have been could have been avoided if they didn't go on the pill in the first place and actually got to the root of the problem so that would be like just something to bear in mind like the pill isn't the answer it's kind of like just putting like a plaster over a bullet wound it's not it's not actually addressing the root cause so the other thing, the kind of analogy that I always use is like, if you don't have a period and you're, you go on the pill, it's like walking into your kitchen. You notice that your kitchen is flooded and you start picking up a mop. You pick up a mop and start mopping instead of just walking over to the tap and turning off the tap. So you'll just keep mopping and mopping instead of actually just addressing the root cause and just turning off the tap. So when you put it like that, when you use that analogy, it actually kind of, it makes a lot more sense in people's heads. Um, so yeah, that would be my first thing. So just to bear in mind that it's not the, it's not the answer. Um, and by no means the only answer, like I do ultimately understand that um, GPs will push women on the oral contraceptive pill to protect their bone, bone health, because that's obviously going to be, um, be negatively affected if you have lost your period for an extended period of time but it's not it's not the the ultimate answer um, and then the next thing would be to get blood tests done so things like looking at your fsh your lh so these are um hormones that are going to be secreted by our pituitary gland in our brain that are going to regulate um our menstrual cycle um, and regulate ovulation um then the other ones would be elevated prolactin so you want to check have a look at your prolactin and see if that's a miss because that can be a cause of of missed periods and the other one would be thyroid so thyroid um is going to have an interaction with your menstrual cycle so your tsh your free t4 um and then looking at your nutrient status like your vitamin d your folate your iron your b12 and those kind of things so those those would be the main ones and then also looking at your androgens so your male hormones because sometimes having an absent menstrual cycle can be related to an an issue called polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. So having a look at your free testosterone, your DHEAS, and also your sex hormone binding globulin. So those would be the ones that you can list off for your GP to have a look at. I think that is uh, going to be super helpful for a lot of people because I even know in my experience going getting bloods in Ireland and we're not going to turn this into a podcast given out about doctors or anything. But uh, when you go to get bloods, it's kind of like trying to pull teeth from a, a chicken. Like, yeah. it, it's not as easy as I feel like it should be because I get that it takes time and it costs money. And you you almost need to know yourself. You need to have the research done on what it is you're checking exactly. Otherwise, yeah. they're just going to run the standard protocol and then miss some areas. And I think you yeah. had, it was either a story or a post on this recently where, you know, coming back from the doctors going, oh yeah, my bloods are fine. So it must be something else that it's always that the blood should always show like is this in all cases or most cases the blood should always show if there's something off that 
if you're getting the right maybe wasn't yeah. tested if you're getting the right blood test it should show what getting the right blood tests, but then also the blood tests have to be interpreted in the right way and again this is no disrespect for gps but a lot of gps don't actually know what they're looking for in terms of um certain ratios and certain like thresholds and um certain ranges so it's not as straightforward as like just looking at the printout and like oh nothing's flagged there's nothing that's out of range but like you don't need something to be completely out of range to have an issue yeah yeah yeah. so that's important to understand as well so like um but yeah it's just really kind of empowering ourselves with the knowledge because I know myself like and anyone that I've spoken to like it is intimidating to walk into a GPs and you like you kind of feel like you need to have them like you need to be armed with your own knowledge otherwise you will just kind of like be yeah just kind of like led down a different direction like there's been times where I'm like okay I'm gonna go in and say this and this and this and then you're like yeah. okay yeah that's fine yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's an Irish yeah. thing but it's just um it's just my yeah, personality but that especially if you're not confrontational or I remember the start of or not or about this time last year my mood was quite low like I was definitely experiencing a little bit of a depression and I was like I'm going to get my bloods done went in and the doc and the receptionist said oh you want to get your bloods done I said yeah and then the doctor said no no he's fine and because I was so low I couldn't say no I need to get them checked just to make sure I'm sure it's other things going on but I just want to get them checked I was like okay and then just left it so I, I think know. it's if you listen to this it's important to push it because it's like the way I see it is like if if you're not getting your blood done or you're not getting them checked properly, it's like driving a car and never getting it serviced and then expecting why on the NCT day it fails or something yeah. goes wrong and the engine malfunctions and you're like, you know, you could potentially prevent things even if nothing is going on. It should be done more regularly and done properly. But yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so it's good to just keep on top of and yeah, like we have a right to understand our own bodies and like ultimately if um someone doesn't want to do those bloods for us i generally just recommend um potentially finding another gp yeah um, and i like to be totally honest there are some gps that we've had experience with that are absolutely amazing they're so so mm. good and they complete they have a really thorough understanding of female health and what bloods to look out for and what ranges to be looking at so um yeah it's important to, it's, to yeah it's of not all of them that. as well yeah it's just no, not at all. some of them unfortunately um yeah so I think just around taking the pill then, because we were talking about that, there seems to be like a lot of misinformation about it, but then also like, is there, apart from you were saying about bone structure and preventing kind of, um, how do I say it? Just keeping bone strong, essentially. You said that that was one of the, the biggest benefits from it. Are there any other like main health benefits from taking the pill? And do you feel like it's something that's sort of just handed out a bit too yeah like just to kind of backtrack a little bit the again the kind of research is a little bit conflicting again in terms of the effect of the the combined oral contraceptive pill on bone mineral density so there is research to show that it does support and then there's research to actually negate that so we don't actually know which kind of just again highlights the need to you're much better off actually getting to the root issue as to why you're not getting a period as opposed to just going on the oral contraceptive pill um the other reason, so like especially with something like PCOS where you're not um, 
ovulating what the oral contraceptive pill can do because it encourages that monthly bleed as it can reduce the risk of certain endometrial cancer so that's something to bear in mind as well um but yeah like aside from that aside from those kind of two um benefits if that's what you want to call them they um it is it is 100% handed out to too much like very often it's um handed out for skin issues and I understand that again it actually does like I've seen it help so many people with, with like cystic acne um and during that time period like when they're on the pill it will be really well managed very often but the issue is that when they come off the pill when they want to get pregnant or before their wedding or something like that very often it just returns and it can actually get much worse um, and the reason for that is the oral contraceptive pill is actually going to suppress our androgens, our male hormones or our testosterones. And they are the ones that are like causing those flare ups in acne in our skin. And when we come off the pill, uh, what's going to happen is we get a big, big surge in those androgens because they almost like rebound. And that's why very often in the first kind of six months, especially like the kind of peaks at around six months, that's why someone's skin will tend to get much worse. And then very often they'll actually just go back on the pill because they totally freak out, which is completely understandable. But again, my like my opinion on that is like, okay, well, there's a reason as to why you're getting cystic acne. Like, what is it? Let's actually look at the reasons. Like, are you, are you struggling with elevated androgens? Do you actually have polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is um, cystic acne would be a huge symptom of that. So again, just getting to the root of the problem instead of masking the issue would be, would be my, my take on it. Cool. That's, that's all spot on. Lots of really helpful information so far. Um, do you think that, because I know you mentioned stress there and you talk a lot about it on your page, you think that stress is like one of the main culprits for the disruption that we're seeing with female health? Or do you think that it's getting too much of the blame or not enough? Is it just um, because like I am a health professional, I guess I understand that stress is, you know, managing stress is so important that I can see it clearly or is it, is it still under prescribed, we would say, to manage your stress? And to try so like, to we don't have any like compelling quantifiable research like it's such a it's such a difficult question to answer it's mm. so general um but from my practice on in our clinic i would say absolutely it's so it, there's such a huge connection i think people don't understand this there's such a huge connection between what goes on in our brain and then what goes on in our body and men's bodies might not be sensitive to like these kind of changes but women's you have to remember our reproductive hormones are extremely sensitive and one of the reasons for that is like I would say I always say to clients like don't exercise like you're being chased by a bear or don't be stressed out like you're constantly like in in this kind of feeling threatened all day every day because especially for fertility because if your body is constantly getting this message from this upregulated fight or flight response continuously throughout the day it's like saying to your body okay you can barely look after yourself so how are you supposed to like you're in danger every single day so how are you supposed to bring a baby into this environment so because this is what like this is how our body works essentially so that's why our reproductive hormones can be so so sensitive to changes in stressors changes in nutrition changes in exercise because you have to remember as well like nutrition and exercise can act as stressors on our body as well mm -hmm. so if we're in a calorie deficit or 
if we're fasting, like we're skipping meals or fasting for prolonged periods or um, we're drinking like excessive amounts of caffeine or we're doing too much high intensity interval training, we're overtraining, we're undersleeping. These are all stressors on our body. I think we we kind of instantly just think of, OK, like I'm having financial stresses or I'm having stresses in work like they are just psychological stressors. There's so many other stressors that go along with that. So, yeah, to answer your question those stressors would be absolutely integral and managing those stressors are integral to the work that we do at and um, with our clients and you kind of answered a bit of it here but my next question was about um hit training low carb diets and fasting mm-hmm. do you think that those things do have a place or that in most cases they're causing more of a negative impact on female health specifically so yeah like <clears throat> this way like I have had clients who've gotten pregnant absolutely no bother while doing triathlons and other clients that are going low carb and other clients that are really really stressed and like going through trauma and going through like grief so it's so difficult to to say but the way I see it is we all have like a different tolerance for stress And I think the best thing to do is, okay, look at my stressors and see like what are potential stressors in my life. So I know myself that there's certain periods in like in my life where I can do fasting and train fasted. And there's certain periods where I absolutely can't. So if I'm really, really busy in work and I'm not on top of my sleep, then what's going to happen is if I do fasted high intensity interval training, I will just feel awful. It might like cause really bad PMS. It might push out, like delay my period. So it's about understanding, okay, these are all the potential things that can impact our menstrual cycle and impact our fertility and impact our health. Where is it that I can, okay, I can do fasting or I can like maybe um, go slightly low carb or go um, in a calorie deficit, but I can't add in high intensity interval training on top of that while I'm not sleeping properly. So most people can do some of those things but it's about I find that like very often people are waking up first thing in the morning haven't had a great sleep and going and having a coffee like skipping breakfast having a gym session high intensity interval training and then they're like oh I don't have time because I have to get ready for work so I'll have like lunch so like that is just like stress on top of stress on top of stress like it's cortisol and adrenaline being pumped out first thing in the morning so the issue is that we're nearly doing all of those things while being psychologically stressed with everything else and like because we live such busy lifestyles and it's not and it's not even just like the stress that you like you notice it's like us just going from like a to b to c to d like and doing a million things in one day like when have you ever gotten to the end of the day and been like oh i've ticked off everything on my to-do list well i've never done that in my life well it's impossible (laughs) as a business owner i think but it's impossible so like bearing like you have to bear in mind that living that busy lifestyle even though it feels like you're not stressed you're constantly like like when you're in that like state of work you're normally like you're normally pushing out cortisol and adrenaline so it's so important to actually I would say like seek out pockets of time during the day where you know that you're actively working on moving into more of a parasympathetic state because mm-hmm. we have we have our sympathetic nervous system state which are which is our fight or flight response and then we have our parasympathetic nervous system state which is our rest and digest and we want to spend as much time as possible we should nearly always be in our rest and digest the only reason 
we have our sympathetic nervous system state is to prepare us from like running away from a predator or prepare us in a threatening environment or a threatening situation. So I think we like because we live such busy lifestyles, we have to have to actively work on carving out time to move into our parasympathetic nervous system state. And that's different for everybody. Like for some people, it's meditation, it's yoga, it's breath work. And it's just going for a walk in nature, like taking your earphones out. It's even like playing with a pet, just something that brings you into the present moment and actually grounds you, even like walking barefoot on the sand or walking barefoot on the grass. This has been shown in research to be beneficial Mm -hmm. for our immune system and also for our um, psychological health or our mental health. So it's just about like what I would call finding what is your stress, stress reduction, like your kind of stress reduction a stress management jam and so that's going to be different for everybody there's some people that have absolutely no time for meditation it's just not for them or um, some people don't like yoga but you'll always be able to find something that kind of moves you into that um, parasympathetic nervous system for sure Um, I think like a few years ago I was in I'd nearly say for a year or two straight I was in a state of like fight or flight constantly um but I thought that that was like the norm. I was like, no, I need to like, you know, really push my hustle. body and push myself. And hustle and get. I was working yeah. three jobs and doing a PT course. And I thought that was normal. And I was like proud of myself for all my achievements. But the thing with it was looking back now, I didn't realize that I was actually like so stressed. So I'm wondering, is there like, how does, how do you see it, especially in women? Like, how do you see that stress manifest itself? If you're like, someone who's who's just been that way on the go all the time and never actually maybe looked for even sat down to look okay am I stressed like are there other signs of like stress that you know stress that manifests itself that maybe isn't so obvious yeah so like uh, kind of not to take it back to your period all the time but um stress is obviously going to manifest in potentially losing your period also delaying ovulation so if you find that you have much longer cycles so like ideally our cycle should be like in and around 28 days but obviously that can massively vary but if you're getting cycles that are much much longer and it means that means that you're ovulating late so there is a delay in ovulation and that is potentially caused to stress or as a result of stress so that would be a big one um, the other thing would be like debilitating PMS. So um, mm. stress can like stress has a impact on premenstrual stress as well. So you'll notice that like it's nearly like a summary of how you've done for the month, like is what your your PMS is like. So you'll find like and it's just, it's just so like fascinating when you actually become more in tune with it. But you'll find like I will find personally when there's been a month where I skip meals, probably haven't eaten as much. Like I'm the type of person that when I'm busy, like I'm just like, food is such an inconvenience. I actually wish that I wasn't like this, but like if I have lost weight, it's because I'm really, really stressed. And whereas those other people would, that would be quite different the to that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for me, that like that will manifest as I will just feel really, really, like really low about four days before I get my period. And that's like literally crying for absolutely no reason, like thinking that my life is falling apart when realistically, like it's actually fine. (laughs) But that's how I know that I haven't been looking after myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, just to kind of outline, like PMS is normal, like to have like low mood and to have like sore boobs and to have um, some sort of like cramping, especially like day one of your cycle, like that is normal. But when it's really, really debilitating, that's when it becomes an issue. Um, so yeah, it's important to kind of bear in mind those, those kind of things. And then like from a like personal perspective, like I know that 
before I actually had my little boy, I definitely wasn't looking after my mental health. So it reached a point where after having a child, like I knew that the only way that I was going to actually be a good mother to him and actually be able to be present was if I actually started to look after my own mental health, because I was, you're able to, I feel like personally, I was able to get away with not looking after my mental health when I didn't have a child, but there's, I feel like there's no hiding from it when you have a child in the mix. It's just crazy. So I know for me, it manifested as I used to have like what I would call like, well, it's, it's dramatic calling it a mental breakdown, but like just lose my shit, like probably probably once every two months where I just reach we reach breaking point and I'd be like I can't do this anymore and yeah just feel like everything's kind of like falling apart and that I can't I'm just kind of up to here with the stresses of life and now since I've actually actively started to be like okay now on Wednesday mornings I'm going to do yoga on this day I'm going to do my journaling I'm going to do my meditation I'm going to do my cacao ceremonies I haven't had any of those and you'd think that because you think that because I'm like there's way more stresses because work has gotten so much busier and I also have a child in the mix you think that I, those those kind of breakdowns would be a lot more frequent but they're not because I'm actively like working on carving out those pockets of time to to work on myself and to give back to mm-hmm. myself so um I would say those little mini I'm sure like anyone or most people listening will know what I mean by those mini meltdowns those are a sign that you're not looking after yourself that's what I would say yeah where things maybe feel like they're kind of gone to a point where they're out of control. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like the cup analogy. It's like filling up your cup. Like if yoga and meditation, like they would be classed as like filling up your cup and your cacao ceremonies and your walks where you're taking your earphones out and listening to the sea and walking barefoot, they are filling up your cup. But like the minute you step off the beach, your cup is getting emptied and emptied Mm. and emptied. You need to keep going back to what it is that works for you and filling up that cup because when it becomes empty, that's when I found personally that I would just lose my shit and have a mini meltdown. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say there is that, that's what I would just, I'd just call them like stress management tools or clients. But I often see that, you know, some weeks I'll say, you know, I look at stress and it was zero on the scale which I know it probably is never zero, but I'll, yeah. I'll look at, you know, did you do any stress management tools this week is one of the questions or what did you do for stress management? None stress was fine, but I'll always say, if I see that, look, even though you weren't stressed, it's important to keep that routine because yeah. then instead of let's say next week is super, super stressful, but those routines aren't in place. Now you're trying mm-hmm. to like put out a house fire instead of like, you know, there's a small fire and you're, you're kind of putting it out while it's moving from room to room, you know, instead of the whole house going up in flames yeah and yeah absolutely yeah that's a great analogy <laughs> yeah um so are what what kind of like main changes should you make to exercise and nutrition at different times of the month so yeah the in terms of nutrition we'll start with that so yeah again it kind of always comes back to research so there is research to show that after we ovulate so like in a typical 28 day cycle we kind of ovulate day 14 day 15 and after that point what happens is we get a rise in our body temperature and therefore a a rise in our metabolism and so you will actually burn like up to 300 extra calories in the days following ovulation and you'll find as well that your cravings are worse so they've actually shown they've actually done a research study that's shown that when they bring in I think it's 300 calories of chocolate in the kind of luteal phase which is the second half of your cycle that 
resulted in better, better body composition results in terms of um, fat loss over a prolonged period of time in comparison to the people who weren't having that those 300 calories of chocolate. So basically, like I would say, like under, understanding this is really important, especially if you're trying to actively like lose lose body fat, because you know yourself like if you are ravenous and your your cravings are higher because you're reaching kind of like you're you're kind of in that pms stage mm-hmm. all you're going to want to do is like face plant into whatever it is like donuts bowl of cereal yeah chocolate crisps those kind of things so it's important to understand that and like what i would say is like honor your hunger and understand that this is your female physiology and yeah that's a really really interesting study that showed if we can just like kind of satiate our cravings with that additional chocolate actually over a prolonged period of time more than likely i'd imagine that research study showed that there was um there was less kind of overconsumption or less kind of binging um yeah Pro- probably just mo- more adherence because you didn't restrict yourself when you were like exactly re- like yeah, when hormones yeah. were kind of out of whack yeah yeah exactly and you reach like you know it's like you know yourself like when you're trying to restrict and you're starving like it's that can result in a really slippery slope and and binges and that kind of thing so um it's just important to as I said honor our honor our hunger and honor our cravings and then the other thing in terms of exercise there isn't like a huge amount of like compelling again research on this but generally what we're seeing is like um, training kind of uh, placing a heavier emphasis on training in the follicular phase of our cycle so again going back to your 28 day average from day one to day 14 that's actually been shown if we kind of front load our training in our menstrual cycle to our follicular phase that actually has been shown to result in better strength gains over um, a prolonged period of time um, in comparison to to um, a control group so yeah it's just something to bear in mind and as well like anyone who is kind of struggling with PMS or it's not even like you don't even have to be struggling with PMS to notice that in the like especially in the later luteal phase so like from kind of day 21 day 22 up to when you get your period you will be more introverted you will be demotivated and understanding that is really important instead of being like oh my god I'm so lazy I'm just all I want to do is sit on the couch but like we're not supposed to be sociable and extroverted for 28 days of of the month we will become like more like recluse and don't want to socialize and demotivated and don't really want to leave the house if you're me anyway um in that late luteal phase so understanding that is really important and doing like more maybe some more gentle exercise like walking or yoga or um going to the gym and not being disheartened if you feel like you can't like you're not hitting pbs or you're not hitting your normal times on workouts and stuff like that um so it's just important to remember that like in in a man's like 28 days everything pretty much stays the exact same whereas we are so much more complex so yeah yeah becoming more it's a a lot more interesting I don't think I'd try places but it's a lot more interesting yeah but like that's why I love working with females because like no offense to you but like I don't find work yeah (laughs) it's boring yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah um what I see there as well in that kind of phase a lot is and I don't know is there research to show this but I just see this with my own clients is that a lot of them tend to have like that if they're going to have bad sort of body image days that it tends to be around that time of the month yes. and I'm sure that's yeah. down to them being a bit more maybe feeling a bit more bloated maybe feeling a bit more negative and then viewing themselves I know, but more. again we have research on this to show yeah. that there's 
you've lower levels of body satisfaction in the luteal phase in comparison to the follicular phase yeah like when you look in the mirror and you're like oh my god I actually like look good today and I feel like my clothes are fitting really well that's generally when you're ovulating and because your body's like yeah you go get a girl (laughs) you go get pregnant (laughs) yeah so um yeah so understanding that like you might not you might kind of have that body dissatisfaction um during the later luteal phase is important to remember so again like if you don't know this you're combining body dissatisfaction with increased cravings and increased metabolism like it's no wonder that you'll like you'll find that binging is more likely we again I don't know if we have research on it to show that binging is more likely in the luteal phase but I would imagine in working with clients Mm. that that is true yeah and do you think that journaling is like something that would be effective around that if you're having quite like do you know me I'm obsessed with journaling like absolutely because that's what because I don't have that experience myself but I know that if I I, like I do some days get more negative about my body but not in the same ways but that's what I would turn to if my thoughts start becoming a bit more negative or you know let's say if you're walking down the street and you go to judgment instead of a neutral or a happy thought that's where I would look at journaling so that's what I've been kind of advising is okay if you're yeah I don't want you to you don't need to, to pretend that you feel like you look better it's just to write it down and then try to kind of be a bit more compassionate like try to say okay I'm grateful for my body because it's able to lift heavy weights it's able to all the things that it's able to do you know and try to shift it a little bit yeah 100% I actually like I've seen people do this a lot is and I find it works really well with clients it's like referring to your body in like the third person it's like look what Mm -hmm. she has done like I was able to lift this weight and I was able to hit like I'm able to yeah I might have like thicker thighs but that's because I'm able to squat 100 kilos or well yeah well I haven't squatted no I don't think I've ever squatted yeah anyway yeah. <laughs> 95 was my floor, but that was a very long time ago but like yeah I might have like not the ideal tummy that I want but she was able to like birth a child and like grow a child and feed that child for several months so repair referring to your body in the third person I think we instantly become a little bit more compassionate and I always say like if you wouldn't say something to your best friend don't say it to yourself mm-hmm. yeah I think that's yeah. super important um so just I just have a few more things I want to run through I'll try to get through them quick because I don't want to take up too much more of your time um are there supplements you think or maybe like foods that you should be aiming to get in during different stages of your life for a woman so yeah absolutely like it's kind of it's a little bit of a general question like it's difficult like like I do find that if you look at the supplements that I was taking six months ago they're completely different to the supplements that I'm taking now so like it's all completely individual obviously the fundamental ones are vitamin d from I would say Halloween to St. Patrick's Day and that's just a necessity um an omega-3 fatty acid especially if you're not eating your oily fish like salmon mackerel anchovy sardines herring and getting in a high quality high grade um omega-3 fatty acid is so important and again like anything related to inflammation is generally bad or negative in the body and it manifests in different diseases and different illnesses so omega-3 fatty acids have anti-inflammatory properties so they actually bring down that systemic inflammation so I love omega-3 fatty acids so so important especially for fertility like men and women um in preconception like a high quality prenatal so like I would always say it takes 12 months to make a baby not nine months like you have to work on your preconception 
nutrition supplementation lifestyle well like before trying to conceive in that what I would call trimester zero and um, three months prior to conception Um, anyone with anxiety um. I would always like I'm absolutely obsessed with magnesium again like a high quality magnesium like magnesium glycinate or magnesium biglycinate is so so effective for managing anxiety there's another ingredient called L-theanine so L-theanine is an amino acid but has an amazing kind of anti-anxiety uh, properties and those two in combination are absolutely incredible and um, so yeah like there's there's lots of different supplements obviously post and um, post antibiotic and um, you've got your probiotics like getting in those beneficial gut bacteria because very often your your antibiotic has killed off all of those beneficial um gut bacteria so it's important to to re-inoculate and yeah I'm trying to think what other are my favorite ones um yeah that's it really there's obviously there's loads more supplements but they're the kind yeah. of general recommendations yeah. that we have that's cool um so I'm just interested in this there's a lot of talk around PCOS which there should be but I'm just curious about like the difference between polycystic ovaries and then polycystic ovary syndrome is there like a big difference between the two and are people sort of labeled with having PCOS when sometimes it's not yeah so PCO is having cysts having cysts on your ovaries and then PCOS is the syndrome associated with um elevated male hormones so it's really confusing and i actually think that they're changing the terminology around it because it's yeah. so confusing so thought it was the, just me yeah <laughs> so the interesting thing is that you don't need to have cysts on your ovaries in order to be diagnosed with pcos and in in the opposite is true you don't need to have Symptoms, you know maybe no. no, I'm getting totally confused now. Um, so you don't need to have cysts on your ovaries to be diagnosed with PCOS. And just because you have cysts on your ovaries doesn't mean they have PCOS. So you can have cysts and not have PCOS. Okay. Um, or you can have PCOS and have no cysts. So yeah, it's it's a little bit confusing, but they're not they're not like kind of tied together as closely as we think that they are. So like just say, for example, like when we don't ovulate for an extended period of time, those cysts can actually build up um, on our ovaries. So put it this way, if you have like missed periods due, due, due to a condition called hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is totally different to PCOS, that can result in cysts on the ovaries. So if you just have an ultrasound and have cysts in your ovaries and also have missed periods, the GP or the consultant might say to you, okay, you have PCOS, but you actually might not have PCOS. You might have something completely different called hypothalamic amenorrhea. Um, so, so yeah, it is a little bit confusing in that sense. Um, so that's why it's important if, if you suspect that you have PCOS, um, you should ideally be getting a blood test and done to determine your elevated androgens. And what are some of the main kind of symptoms that um aside from are they symptoms that we talked about before like missing periods and severe the main symptoms would be missed or irregular periods and but again i've had clients who have pcos who have regular periods and the other symptom a big one would be like cystic acne around your jawline and like kind of dark facial hair like not the kind of like fluffy facial hair that we well that i have anyway um but more so like actual like black unwanted hair like especially around um your chin area and those would be the main ones um and yeah low energy levels can be a sign of pcos as well so it's just important to um 
to understand that an ultrasound on your ovaries isn't isn't like going to it's not enough to diagnose you with PCOS so one of the first things that I ask clients who come to us that have been diagnosed with PCOS is okay how were you diagnosed and we would always look for um, a blood test or at least signs of elevated androgens like your facial hair or your cystic acne cool that definitely clears things up um so this is everything um let's ask like where so where can people find you if they want to kind of follow you and all of that and yeah so we are the fit clinic on instagram and the fitclinic.e is our website cool that's perfect thank you so much for your time thanks so much thank you thank you